Be glorified by all that we say and do. As we take a moment to turn our eyes toward you, Father, today's the day that we come to worship. Today's the day that we gather with other believers that trust in you to worship. We come now to worship and to listen and to open your word, to see what you have for us. Thank you for your goodness. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Grab a seat if you would. And again, welcome, thank you, to Ordinary Faith. I don't get to preach a lot. That's probably mostly by my choice. But every once in a while, I get to step in and fill the pulpit. Today, I want to start with a question. I want to start by asking you one or two word answers. What does it mean? And literally, yep, yell them out. What does it mean to you to be a Christian? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Anybody? Faith. Okay. Someone else? Love. Nice. Someone else? Trust. Hope. Joy. Peace. I heard a couple of pieces. Oh, no, no, no. A couple of people say peace. What else? Anybody? Letting go of? of letting go of my control. Okay. Forgiveness. Nice. All these things, right? Good things. When we come and we start following Jesus, one of the things we're looking for is, is these good things because we've been told and it's in Scripture and we've read it and we found it. Here's some other ideas. Victorious. Blessed. Maybe. Overcomer and freedom. Those sometimes go together. Rock Springs has, as of this month, officially been our home for three years. So we are excited to be here. And for the first time in three years, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, my parents have joined us. So you know who to blame. No. (laughs) See, I'll get in trouble just for saying that because my mom is like, oh, no, we raised you and you did. And it's, it's sideways from there. But my folks are here this morning, so welcome. Um. That was for you, so not for... Um, so we've been here three years, and Rock Springs is one of those... That's okay, welcome to our church. Um, one of those blue-collar towns, and we've lived in a few of those blue-collar towns where people move there for work, and when the work's gone, they leave and they move somewhere else for work. Over the years, Becky and I have lived in actually quite a few of those communities. We've also, interestingly enough... Uh, lived in some really fancy custom home communities. Now, before you get too excited, sometimes custom just means they didn't really have a good plan going in. (laughs) Have you ever seen a custom shed that got built in somebody's backyard? It was custom. Um, It was customary for it to fall down every winter. Um, More than once, we've walked through a house and walked, uh, walked through and asked ourselves, what were these people thinking. You've got those stairways that go nowhere. Or down to a basement and the entire basement is just a half bathroom. We've seen those. You've got those one door, those places that you open one door and that means you can't open the other because somebody didn't plan ahead or the cupboards work like that. We, we saw this house one time where there was a walk-through closet. Not a walk-in closet, 
but to get to the room that was on the other side of the closet, you had to walk because, through the closet because that was the only way to get there. Sometimes you're wondering what people are thinking because of how they put things together. There were those houses that looked like it started out as a two-bedroom, one-bath, and now was a four-bedroom, four-bath, and you're right. It looked like 13 different contractors or non-contractors got involved at one point or another. And you, so it's this hodgepodge that just kind of keeps growing. Our faith does that sometimes. And that's a normal thing, actually, that our faith gets kind of cobbled together. It gets built up. We've got the scriptures that we read and that uh, the preaching, the teaching that we got over years. And then over time, little things get mixed in, like the guy on the radio and my pappy, who always used to say, and a couple of books we read, and the neighbor who listened to the other preacher who insisted that he was right, and, and our faith gets built up. And sometimes it's cobbled together. It's just, it's, it's a little hodgepodgey. To be fair, that's normal. It's normal that we work out our faith based on what we learn. Sometimes those things are really solid. Sometimes it's just mashed up. Throw in a handful of rules and it's just like church on Sunday morning. Um, so it should be no surprise then that when a cranky coworker or a college professor walks in and decides to blast your faith, that it can sometimes topple like a house of cards. If you could turn this down, we got a little bit of a ring. Um, here at Ordinary Faith, over the next few months, we have decided to step back and take a hard look at faith and start building that up piece by piece. Explain what it is, where it comes from, and how we get from in the beginning to Jesus coming and dying on a cross and, and tie it together and actually build some foundation points. Pull it down some more. Um, and I've got notes. What our faith is, what it is. And in some ways, we'll be kind of rolling in like one of those HGTV construction crews that remodels things. It takes it down to the foundation points. So that when that cranky coworker, the professor walks in, you've got actually more to stand on than just, well, I heard once, but I'm pretty sure it's in the Bible. Those, God helps those who helps themselves. I'm sure it's in the Bible somewhere because I, I heard a preacher say it once and he puts you, you realize, okay, that sounds nice, but it's not really there. This is going to matter for people who are new to faith, who are maybe kicking the tires on this whole idea of Jesus Christ is Lord, who are um, unsure and have questions and doubts. This is going to matter for people who are coming back to church, who maybe grew up in church or they went to VBS once and they gave their heart to Jesus and yet they got to college and they hit that professor who didn't respect, didn't care for, and did everything he could to tear apart your faith, and you kind of walked away saying, well, I guess maybe it was more like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and Jesus, and, and so you let it go, and now you're coming back trying to say, maybe I missed something in the meantime. This is going to be important for people who have been followers of Jesus Christ for some period of time. 
Because the next five months is going to serve to strengthen your faith and to give you anchor points. Get down to the bedrock of what you believe and why and how it all fits together and makes sense. We're going to start that with a series that starts today on baptism. It's called Step Into the Water. This series is going to continue on through August. And at the end of August, we're actually going to have our annual baptism service at Green River. And if that's something you'd like to do, I I would invite you to consider that and be baptized. You'll have a few weeks to kind of get to where we put this together and understand it. Because over the next several weeks, we're going to take some different Bible stories some that you know, some that you may not be familiar with, and relate them to baptism and see how it connects and how this idea of being baptized kind of cycles through Scripture. And we hear we, there, are, there are indications and leanings into throughout Scripture about what baptism is and pictures that we can find and make parallels with. To get us started today, we're actually going to look at what baptism is, We're going to take a look at why it matters to us today and why all sorts of churches still believe in and practice baptism. We're also going to take a look at Noah, the ark, the flood, and see how the idea of that story parallels what we look at for baptism, okay? Um, The word baptism actually comes out of a Greek word, baptizo, that means to immerse or wash. And it's a word that was used frequently for all sorts of things. Um, so <laughs> the word gets translated in different ways depending on the context. It can refer to cleaning dishes. It can refer to making a recipe or even washing your hands. I've got a buddy who's a biotech engineer. And uh, one time I ex- asked him to explain the kind of work he does so I could understand. Because you say that and... Okay, and he said this. He said, um, he uses applied biology and chemical engineering to develop products from living microorganisms. And I smiled and said, oh. He said, you have no idea, do you? I said, nope, not a clue. He says, my job's the kind of job that you wash your hands before you go to the bathroom as well as after. And I'm like, oh, okay. You're playing with some nasty things. And... He said that that's the kind of way he explains it to people who have no idea what biotech engineering is. Well, if you were to use Greek for that term, you could say that he baptized his hands twice every time he went to the bathroom. Now, depending on your church tradition, that's going to give you a different picture, perhaps. I mean, there could have been some sprinkling involved. There could have been some pouring or some dunking but we're not here to talk about other people's bathroom habits. Um, But that that would be Greek. That would be the word baptizo. In context and purpose matters. There was a guy named Nicander of Colophon. Colophon's in present day Turkey, and he was a Greek poet and physician who lived about 200 BC. And he has recorded a recipe for making pickles that actually uses the word baptized to explain how to make pickles. Now, he uses two different forms of the word. The first one, bapto, means to be dipped. You dip the cucumber into boiling water, and then you baptize, baptize dough, the cucumber, and immerse it, and leave it sit in vinegar for a while, and you've got yourself a pickle. 
That's the basic idea of the... Both verbs involve putting a vegetable into some liquid. Dipping it in the water cleans it. Immersing it in vinegar produces a permanent change. In fact, it's never going to go back to smelling, looking, tasting like a cucumber again. It is now entirely changed, and that's what the idea of baptism is all about. And that's the form of the word that's actually used in Scripture that matters to us. There aren't many things that churches agree on, different churches. But one of those is baptism. They disagree on how to do it. They disagree on when to do it, perhaps. They disagree, perhaps, on what it all means. But everybody agrees, yes, be baptized. Why? Because Jesus said this. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. Anyone who refuses to to believe will be condemned. That comes out of Mark chapter 16. At Ordinary Faith, we believe that baptism follows your personal decision to follow Christ. It's the next step. It's the, we call it a public declaration of a personal decision. Today our message is called Step in a New Life, and we're going to take a look at one of the most popular Bible stories ever. Do you know if you Google Noah's Ark Bible story, you come up with about 1.7 million results. But if you were to Google Noah's Ark Kids Room Decor, you get nearly 8 million results. Why? I think the idea of the children's story of Noah's Ark, um, the idea of a 40-day animal cruise, is a lot more fun than the reality of a God who decided to wipe the human race off the face of the earth. Oh, yeah. The Bible story of Noah's Ark is pretty disturbing, especially when we're told all of our lives that God is love. Don't get me wrong, God is love. That is true. And we use several additional words at the beginning of the service to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. Faith and hope and peace. Nice, churchy words. But there's several other words that kind of describe what it means to follow Jesus and what Christianity is all about. There's uncomfortable Sometimes we have to step out of our comfort zones to let God do what he's going to do. Sacrifice, there's a word. There's going to be things that we have to give up if we're going to choose to follow Jesus. Battle. We talked about victory. You realize you can't have victory without actually entering into a battle. Difficult. Sometimes the Christian life is anything but easy. Sometimes it's flat Hard. Unfair. I know that I'm not the only person that feels that way. Uh, We've all said that's not fair. Mom used to say nothing's fair until men have half the baby, and I always wondered how that could work, but I figured God's plan was better. God never promised us fair. Here's a word for you, death. There's a dying to self that has to take place to follow anyone. So why would we expect it to be different when Jesus says, follow me? To give up what we want, that's the part of Christianity, frankly, most of us don't want to talk about or deal with or even look at. Suffering. Sometimes the way we most become like Jesus is through some suffering, through pain. 
Most of us don't want to suffer. Surrender. To follow Jesus, we have to lay everything down at his feet. Now, it makes for pretty songs and wall hangings. I have decided to follow Jesus. You know, we, we put it over the bathroom mirror. And... But following God isn't all pretty and tidy. And it's nothing like a 40-day teddy bear cruise. Which is actually nothing like the story of Noah. Following God means we sometimes have to deal with and face the difficult, harsh reality of the world we live in. And if we're going to be ordinary about our faith, we need to be ordinary about how we approach our faith, how we step into it. Following God is going to cost us something. It could require us to let go of a dream or a hope. could mean sacrificing what we love most. Sometimes it means sacrificing our lives. We might lose everything to follow Jesus. And you and I have to decide if we're going to trust him anyway. If we're going to trust him enough to follow him, no matter whether it makes sense or not. In that moment when you don't know how it's going to end, are you going to trust God? In that moment that you don't know where it's going to wind up, do you keep following? Do you obey? Do you surrender? Noah did. Long before there was ever the idea of a flood and an ark and a bunch of two-by-two animals, which would, no. Um, it would have made it easier to fit all those animals on the ark, though, if they were all two-by-two. No. Noah was considered a righteous, godly man. Genesis 6, 9 says this. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. It's interesting, because when I started doing the reading, I'm like, only, okay, was his dad still alive? Yes, he was. His dad was named Lamech. You might not remember that name, but you might have heard the name Methuselah. That was actually Noah's grandfather, the oldest man in the Bible, 969 years. He was actually still alive, too. In fact, he died the year the flood started. I don't know if there's a correlation there. The only blameless person living on earth at the time, Noah. Imagine a world with only one decent guy. All right, well, that can't make sense because there's me and there's my dad, obviously, and my son. And some of you ladies are already saying, yeah, I can imagine a world with no decent guys. Um, let's flush them all. No. <clears throat> I got lost. That's where God was at. Let's look at Genesis chapter 6. This is a little earlier. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on earth, and he saw that everything those people thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he'd ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. The Lord said, I'm going to wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth. Yep. And I'm going to destroy every living Thing. All the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, even the birds. I'm sorry I ever made them, but Noah found favor with the Lord. God had had enough and decided to start over. And that's the backdrop for this story that we know of Noah and the ark. You know the rest of the story. The Lord told Noah to build him an archiarchy. Lord told Noah to build him an archiarchy. Build it out of gopher barky barky children. Right? So rise and shine and sing a song. Okay? 
Okay, it's been a while since I've been to Sunday school too. But animals came in two by two. It rained and poured for 40 days. And then rainbows. That's the story, right? Not exactly. No wonder parents and kids like Noah's Ark so much. But even if you stop for half a second and consider the logistics for that, you'd realize it's not even remotely possible. Hang on. Not in a million years, or at least not in six to 8,000 years, depending on how you... Unless, right, certainly not if you're the National Center for Science Education. Because the National Center for Science Education thought Noah's Ark was important enough to refute everything about it. And you can look, up, look it up on their website. Let's take a look. God tells Noah to build a boat that's one and a half football fields long. Never mind that no one has been able to build a wooden boat that long since and have it be seaworthy. And even the ones we're close had to have iron girders going diagonally just to keep it from doing this through the water. There were three decks with living quarters for pairs of all the animals on earth, all of them sealed up inside an ark with Noah and his family for over a year. That's right, 40 days of rain and floods, flood waters covering the earth for another 110 days, 150 days for the waters to abate, which included the sending out of the raven and the doves. Then the earth dried out for another 70 days, until finally God told Noah to leave the boat. So you got this huge boat. One door, which God sealed shut, a bank of windows around the top of the boat that were about 18 inches tall, sealed inside are eight humans and a couple of every kind of bird and animal for a full year. Can we talk about sanitation? <laughs> How about ventilation? Just getting some fresh air down to... The bottom of the boat. Not to mention other issues that an amateur shipbuilder would have had to face and overcome, including naval engineering, mechanics, waterproofing, biodegradation. That's where the wood starts to rot before it actually gets in the water. Multiply that by the additional complications of zoology, botany, physiology, climatology, biogeography. How do the polar bears and the desert tortoises meet in the middle and then land on a Oh, and then you got to feed and water and care for thousands of animals every single day and basic survival for everyone and everything on board. What happened if somebody would have got coronavirus? Right? <laughs> when you think about all the little details, the logistics, it kind of sounds impossible. And that's kind of the point. That's kind of why we call this a miracle. Now, face it, if we're looking at this, to get from point A to where we are now, that would require a huge... Leap of faith, right? Believing it happened just like the Bible says would also require putting our faith in a God who would actually decide that he was ready to wipe humanity from the face of the earth. And that's not usually the God we talk about in church. Humanity that he created and wiping them off of the earth that he created for them to live on. How do we trust a God like that? Honest question. If we're not willing to look at our faith, then what do we have? We've got a house of cards. How can we follow a God like that? Could we possibly obey and surrender to a God like that? Well, Noah did. 
That's the thing. Noah did. Scripture says Noah walked in close fellowship with the Lord. Right? We read the verse. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was righteous, the only blameless guy on earth, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah trusted God. That God, the same God we're talking about, the one that offends us, our sophisticated sensibilities, our understanding of nature and the laws of the natural universe. And so did Jesus, actually. Interestingly, Jesus believed the story of Noah was true and factual. He said this, Jesus told his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns, but you won't see it. People will tell you, look, there's the Son of Man, or here he is, but don't go out and follow, it. follow them. When the Son of Man returns, it's going to be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat, and the flood came and destroyed them. All this is Jesus telling this story. Luke chapter 17, with all the potential impossibilities, the reason I choose to believe the Noah story, the ark story, the animals story, the flood story, the way the Bible tells it, is because Jesus believed it. Jesus taught it. Here's something else Jesus said. All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me, love me, will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. That's kind of like how Noah operated, right? God told him to build this massive boat to prepare for a flood in a land where rain had never fallen, ever fallen before. And Noah did it. When the impossible rain began to fall, oh look, it's impossible rain. God told Noah to get on board and Noah did it. After a year on the boat, God told Noah, hey, disembark. And Noah did it. Why? Because Noah was blameless and righteous and lived in fellowship with God. He was blameless and righteous according to God's reckoning, according to God's cheat sheet. So was Noah perfect? No, 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 no. There's plenty of stories about Noah that come after the flood that show he wasn't perfect at all. But he was blameless and righteous according to whatever accounting system God was using, God uses. So before God decided to flush the toilet... Noah had already decided to obey God's commands. Before God ever called Noah to do something extraordinary and memorable, Noah had decided to follow God's commands. Before the ark story was ever a whiff in the wind, Noah had decided to follow God. He stepped into righteousness by his own choice, all by himself, when literally, literally everybody else on the earth was evil. Consistently and totally evil, the scripture says. Noah built a boat in that desert because God told him to. No, I'm sending a flood. I'm going to destroy the world. Build a boat. Okay, sure. Just to be sure, when is this flood supposed to land? Because how long do I have to build? That's a big boat. Uh, also, God, what's a flood? Can you imagine? Can you imagine the pressure that that would put you wonder, to get this boat built on time with no indication of when the water was coming. In my house, that would sound sometimes like that. No, honey, I don't need a break. I'm good. I got to keep going. No, honey, we're probably not getting a vacation this year. No, honey, I don't care what the curtains look like. Wait, what's a curtain? 
hang on, is that a cloud? Then the neighbor boys would come over with their squirt guns and it's raining, get the, get the animals. Whatever questions or doubts Noah might have had, and he had to have had questions or doubts. You would, I would. He stepped onto the boat right along with those questions and doubts. And let's honestly consider he probably was not sure about his next step. Here's the thing that matters. When Noah stepped off the boat, he stepped into a brand new life, a brand new world. That's just like baptism. At Ordinary Faith, when we baptize someone, we declare buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. Baptism is that public declaration of a personal decision to follow Jesus. So since we're talking about foundational parts of faith, let's look at what the Bible means when it refers to new life or being born again. Simply put, new life means your inner spirit has been brought into a new relationship with God because of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. We've heard this. That's what new life's about. But let's break it down. When God first designed it, designed us, he intended that we would be in close relationship with him all the time. That's how he designed us. But we got wrapped up in disobedience and sin, like we've all done, and our relationship with him was fractured. The point isn't to shake a naughty finger at anybody. The point is this. We've got to deal with that. We've got to recognize that. Romans 3 says this. All have turned away from God. They've all gone wrong. No one does what is right, not even one. They've not known the path of peace. Everyone is sin and is far away from God's saving presence. The bottom line is none of us have lived up to what God created us to be. When we deal with that, we're ready to respond to the reason Jesus was sent to earth, his life, death, resurrection. Those were specifically provided for you and me so we could return to God's original plan for us. This scripture is familiar to all of us. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who believed in him may not die but have eternal life. The next one's just like it. For God didn't send his son into the world to be its judge, but to be its savior. Perhaps it's no surprise that this came directly from the mouth of Jesus. What might be interesting to you, what you might not realize, is that when he said it, he was actually talking to a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was trying to uncover and, and figure out what Jesus was meaning by his teachings. He asked Jesus to explain what new life is, which is exactly kind of what we're talking about. So here's Jesus' explanation to a guy who didn't understand it. God loved the world so much, he gave his son, so that everyone who believes wouldn't die but have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, to be its judge, but to be its savior. Jesus also referred to new life as being saved in that conversation. Like we read earlier, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Today I want to invite you to step into new life, to take a step towards new life. If you're still new to faith or still kicking tires, on this whole idea of salvation in Jesus Christ, then here's something you might do to step towards new life. I'm going to invite you to text 
Text the words I'd like to meet to 307-224-4404. Because that'll let Pastor Michael and myself know that you'd like to sit down over a meal, over coffee, and just have a conversation. Not so that you can get converted. That's not what Jesus did to Nicodemus. But so that you could have some questions answered, so that we could talk. So that if that's where you're at and you'd like some clarifications on some things, send a text. We'll set up a time just to get together and see if we can answer some questions that might be helpful for you in a step towards new life. We don't have offices, so we usually use the local coffee shop in town and do it there. Um, just to be clear, we're talking your doubts, your questions, your concerns, your I'm not there yet. Welcome to Ordinary Faith. This is a room where that's okay. If you got doubts, if you got concerns, okay. I figure God's big enough to handle my questions and concerns and doubts. He's probably okay enough to handle yours if we're willing to, willing to talk about them. I don't care if you're an atheist, if you're a skeptic, if you come out of a different faith tradition completely. We can still have a conversation. Sometimes you simply need somebody to ask and to be able to throw an idea out without getting bashed over the head because of your question. That's what Nicodemus did. He stuck off to see Jesus in the middle of the night to ask his questions, express his doubts to Jesus himself, and get some answers, some things to consider. If you're already a follower of Jesus and you have not been baptized, put that on the map. Consider that. Maybe you were baptized as a child and things have changed and you've gone and come back to faith and you would like to be baptized again. Okay, we're doing that on the 29th at the end of, the, uh, at the end of August. Send a text, call, catch me after service, let me know. If you want to meet for coffee, come see me after service, we'll set something up. Jesus said that salvation was believing and being baptized. I'm not going to get into whether you can be saved or not. I, this is not that. He just, he just put the two together. How you sift that and sort that out is you. Many people got saved as a kid, wanted to be baptized later. Maybe people got baptized as a kid, came back, committed their life to God. Okay, great. Let's put that together. And I, I invite you to consider signing up for baptism on the 29th. Uh, in the meantime... Come back and spend the next few weeks with Pastor Michael as he goes through and explains exactly what baptism is about, what it looks like, and how it parallels different stories in the Bible. If you're already a follower of Jesus and you've been baptized, then I'd like you to step into a new life by reading the Bible this week in this particular specific way. We're going to take chapters, uh, the first five chapters of the book of Proverbs this week. There's no test. There's no, you got to sign up. And it's just, if you choose to do it, you choose to do it. Tomorrow, take chapter one of Proverbs. You're only going to read one chapter. And honestly, I only want you to read until something grabs your attention and then stop. First chapter, Proverbs. When something grabs your attention, stop and let that rattle around in your brain. Let that cycle and think about it, consider it. Maybe you go back and read it again. Maybe you spend some time, but just with that one thing, and let Scripture start to open itself up to you. On Tuesday, we'll do chapter 2. Through Friday, we'll do chapter 5. Five days, that's it. I invite you to do it. Whether you've been saved and baptized or not, you're welcome to. Let that Scripture, let that little piece that grabs your attention be your focus for the day. 
Here's the, here's the point with that, and here's why. In his letter to the Ephesians, in his letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul talks about Jesus' relationship with the church. And he says this, Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. According to scripture, who's the church? Us. We are. And how can we become as blameless as Noah was? Well, one way, perhaps, is to be washed by the cleansing of God's word. According to scripture like this. So let's get into God's word this week. God says that his word is alive and able to make its own changes in our lives. So as we get into that, that'll be our step for this week. Like I said, no matter where you're at in your walk with Christ, you can use any of these ideas. You could be a, have been a Christian for 40 years and still want to meet for coffee. Send a text. Come see me after service today, and let's pick a time and a, a place, and we'll sit down. You can have questions if you've been saved for 40 years. Something new will rattle around and come up, and... Maybe you just want some answers. Ask. You can still be kicking the tires on this whole idea of faith, and you can start doing the Proverbs reading thing. You can jump the lines on this. These aren't, you can only do this, you can only do that. But here's the point. The key is to take a next step, because that's what eventually leads us to stepping into new life. We're going to close in prayer. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to sing a song. This is, let me tell you about my Jesus, and I invite you to sing, but let's pray. Father God, we look at baptism, we look at salvation, we look at even simple Bible stories like Noah, and we realize that there's always more to it than what we knew, what we thought. That's how it is when we enter into your word, even with simple